Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I tell untold stories and provide people with an alternative narrative to what they hear on mainstream media. Exploration in 21st centuries is about story, storytelling. It's about documenting and disseminating facts that provide people better understanding of the, of the world out there. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and our latest episode with Reza Pakravan. Reza is an explorer, filmmaker, and writer. His documentaries, talks, and books have taken audiences on journeys to some of the most remote corners of the world. He's presented and produced primetime TV series aired worldwide on the BBC, Channel 4, Al Jazeera, and Amazon Prime. He recently became the first person in modern history to have traveled the full length of Africa from west to east via the Sahel region. He's also crossed the Sahara by bike and then decided he'd cycle the 11,000 mile length of the planet from north to south in a record time of 102 days. But he wasn't always into mad adventures and comes from a corporate 9 to 5 background. In this episode, we discuss the transition as well as the commercialization of adventure and the line between authenticity and adventure. We also touch on world records and where people find power in them and the difference between an explorer and an adventurer. Okay. Over to Reza Pakravan. It would be good to just start, I think, by giving me some background on who you are and what you do, and um, Maybe a bit of information about whether or not you've always done this. Have you always been an adventurer, in inverted commas? Um, interesting question. Um, well, I'm a, um, I'm a producer and an explorer, and um, I specifically call myself an explorer because I always bring things back from my expeditions. I, I bring information back that um, are beneficial to sort of an outside audience, the people that haven't been there. So hopefully they get a better idea of the world that they haven't been exposed to. So that's the role of an explorer. And uh, I make films, uh, mainly anthropological television series, maybe many television series about um, the remote communities, um, about indigenous people around the world, um, which normally requires a prolonged period of travel so that's what i do um and um i was giving talk before the pandemic but but that's uh that's uh, at the moment that's taking a back seat and no one gives talks um that's sort of my um sort of a day-to-day job um and my que- um, your, your question is no i uh, have not been an explorer uh, all my life i start um my career in in a business world um, my, I come from a television background. My mom and dad worked in television all their lives. But when I got to the stage that I had to choose a career for myself, although for me, the, the pave was, uh, the, the path was paved to go to television because I knew all about it. I grew up in the family of my mom. Dad worked in, um, as a director, mom as a producer. I grew up on set, you know, after, 
nursery, you know, I was taken to the set, you know, sit down there quiet. Uh, I just, I knew all about it, but um, I saw my mom and dad work really hard for little money um, day and night. And uh, I quite never got it. I thought, wow, this is, this is so labor intensive for, you know, not much money. And I thought, I know better. I'll go and, you know, enter the world of business. And I went to business school, studied finance, uh, went to the city of London. And 10 years later, I was, uh, you know, for 10 years, I uh, wore suit and tie and commute to the city and got, you know, money was really good, but got to the stage that, wow, I couldn't do it anymore. I was, uh, I was going crazy because it was against my nature. Um, and I made a decision. Um, I combined two passion uh, of my life, which was traveling and adventure with, uh, with filmmaking, which I had the skills. Um, I went to the film school, learned a craft from scratch, um, combined it with my previous knowledge and, um, started exploring and making films. Ace, what was the first kind of jump into the swimming pool? What was the first journey? <laughs> um, started in, um, Madagascar. I mean, that the trigger point was the Madagascar. So, um, you know, after years of you know being in sort of a corporate world, going to these like holidays um, and stuff like that, I just needed to do something different. I just needed to clear my head. Um, so I signed up for a voluntary trip to Madagascar, the school building trip. So I took a month off. I combined all my holidays. Um, so I went to Madagascar and did manual work like shoveling mixing cements and stuff like that carpentry um a month in a bush in madagascar gave me a really good clean space to think no emails no phone no nothing um and um i just the, the simplicity of life and the charm there really um triggered something in me and when i got back i thought nope there's a bigger world, bigger picture out there. And I want to explore it. I want to be part of it. I want to live it. Um, just don't want to go on holidays. I, I just want to make this my job. So when I got back, I thought of, um, I, I didn't have any skills. I, did, I didn't have a great, um, you know, I didn't have a great physique or incredible genetic makeup, or I wasn't the strongest. So I thought I need to learn things. You know, I couldn't, I wasn't cl- the only skill I had, I could cycle. So I looked around the house. I found a little bicycle and um, went went out and started riding it. So a, sort of a morning ride, 10 to a full day ride. Then little by little combined those with weekend camping. I could make a weekend out of it and um, went to um, then uh, the, the first like a journey was for me to go to Nepal and, uh, you know, cycle the Annapurna circuit. I was quite good at mountain biking. So, uh, I thought, well, this is a trekking, um, route. I want to go with a mountain bike. Um, and I did it, uh, got back, got, uh, built up some confidence and was time to take the next step. I trained and trained and trained and I, um, I realized actually no one has crossed the Sahara Desert on a bicycle. So I applied for sort of a Guinness World Record and um, went and did it and got the, got the world record. And it was exciting. Now it sounds so far away, um, you know, it's so different to what I do. But, you know, those days for me was, I thought to establish myself, to just, you know, have something to say, I've got to break world records. So that's what I did. And I mean, <laughs> that opens up a lot of questions, but what, forgive my naivety, but it sounds like it would be very difficult to cycle across the Sahara Desert, you know, with the, with the sand and the dunes and obviously the heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was quite difficult. Um, but obviously it's not the Sahara Desert. It's not only sand dunes. Um, you know, it's pretty much rugged, um, corrugated sand uh not all of it is a soft sand so i could maneuver around um 
the, the dunes and, you know, whenever I had no choice, I had to just carry my bicycle over the dunes. It was um, a lot of pushing, a lot of um, grunting involved, but uh, yeah, I managed to make it. I had a really good guide. <laughs> was it fun? It was. In fact, it was. Um, it was, um, it, it's kind of, um, if you're if you're a cyclist, you gotta be a student of pain. Um, someone told me that, and it was painful, but it was liberating because it was my first um, sort of a statement to say, "Hey, I'm here. You know, I can I can do this." You know, from a, a, you know from a day to day corporate, you know, turning up uh, at eight a.m., leave at you know six p.m., seven p.m. every day, doing the same job over and over again um and hating it all of a sudden i was in the sahara desert i was doing an expedition that has never been done before so that was really powerful for personally i don't know for outside world i didn't care really but personally for me was so important was so liberating and it was a personal test it was a test of endurance that was a test of my skills um and it was for me to to say, okay, am I ready to take the next step? You know, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't like, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to resign my job and, you know, go to Africa and see an elephant and say life is beautiful. It wasn't like that. Um, I wanted to make a career out of it. I just didn't want to uh, just leave my job and then, you know, spend all my money, go back to it again and say, oh, well, you know, it was a hobby. No, I wanted to make it a career. And um, it was uh, interesting. A director, a friend of mine, gave me a camera and I went and shot myself most of the time. And he joined me for the last two days. So he put something together and that made a little um, reportage in the BBC World. They picked it up. I couldn't believe actually that happened completely by luck. And that was my first sort of a lead in to the, to the sort of TV world. Yeah. And it's almost an easy question, but. What next? Um, so I got back from the Sahara Desert um, full of excitement uh, and the confidence level has gone to another, uh, confidence has gone to another level. Um, I thought, okay, maybe I'm, I'm good at cycling from north to south. I did it north to south, length of Sahara Desert. Maybe now um, I can do a bigger north to south journey. So what if I take my bicycle to the northernmost point in um, Europe and cycle to the southernmost point in Africa and try to do it as fast as possible so I can break another world record. I can, um, I can sort of market it in a way so I can get a sponsorship, um, and, um, some press behind it. And that was, that was the time that my decision was to, okay, I'm ready to take the next step. This is it. I'm doing this trip and I'm going to call myself an adventurer and I'm going to leave the corporate world. And this is the trip that I'll make it commercially successful. And this is a trip that I'm going to make a career out of it. So, um, trained for it about, um, 18 months, uh, from an overweight, um, office worker, got myself to the stage, um, that I was ready to take these 11,000 miles. And I, uh, the Guinness world record said you have to do it in a uh, hundred days. Um, and yeah, I, I started, um, the journey and I didn't do it in hundred and hundred days. It took me 102 days, um, because I got malaria. I got really nasty food poisoning, but it made a really good documentary television series. Um, yeah, uh, lots of drama, uh, you know, good, good cliffhangers, if you like, <laughs> you know, you're having a malaria, you know, in, in some uh, random um, uh, clinic in in um, uh, in the middle of Kenya or a cockroach infested um, a clinic, and then that's a really good cliffhanger for your one of your episodes in uh, in, a, in a documentary. So um, that that was really successful. Yes, I didn't make the record, but that was a really good start of my career. How much do you care that you didn't get a record? Honestly. At the time, um, the world collapsed uh, when I 
what got malaria. Um, I I was so upset, man. It's just um, that, but I processed it as I headed south uh, to sort of to the end of my journey. I sort of write it out, and I uh, the more I started thinking about it, the more I realized actually the purpose, the record was nothing it wasn't that important the record was i actually i got so obsessed with the record but the record was only a marketing thing for me it was just to put it in front of the sponsors to put it to get a te- television behind it to just you know telling people yeah i'm breaking the world record but the purpose was um, actually the journey and writing a book uh and making a television series about it. That was the first time actually I put, could put my eyes straight out of the film school. And it was the first time that I actually could put my skills into practice. I had a camera crew uh, joining me in two uh, different parts of the journey. Um, and the most of the stuff I was narrating myself. I was uh, filming it myself with my friend. So it was all you know, part of, you know, making this television series, you know, telling that story and, um, and, and write, write a book, write about it. So the record wasn't that important, but it become obsession. It became a big obsession for me that I was chasing miles day in, day out, every night, uh, you know, riding through the night till I hit the daily target. And it's really interesting because I've spoken to a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life, but you're very, very honest about the fact that some of these things you're doing for commercial purposes, which like lots of people are doing, you know, it's the whole, how do we fund adventure in the 21st century? And there's a reality to that. We can either save up or we can go on really cheap journeys or we can turn it into a business. Do you go on? Sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to say there is absolutely no novelty or there's no um, pride in being poor. You know, I'm not I'm not interested of being poor and having really cool adventures. There's absolutely um, I can't see uh, why an adventurer has to be a poor person. That's that's a really bad perception that you know people of our industry just keep i mean yeah i can understand you know at the beginning you have to save up um to you know start your adventures but what if you call yourself an adventurer why not making money out of it and of course lots of my peers they are making money you know they they give really good talks and uh you know make you know they they host television series and stuff like that and um and there is uh, there's no prob- I can't see any problem with that. Why not? Why why not making good money out of what you do? You can sustain it for longer. You know. Yeah, and I suppose the only the thing for me is always, and it's really simple: is is it authentic? And that you know, I just come back to that every time. I think you know we we talked a little bit beforehand, but if these journeys are real then that's okay if you know personally i think if we get into territory where bear grills is abseiling off antlers on the isle of sky i think you know that's a different type of adventure documentary it's entertainment rather than documentary um where do you draw the line indeed um that's a very interesting discussion i have to say bear grills um is a television star um he's making he's he doesn't make he's he's an entertainer uh, a very respectable person. I mean, what he does, he cannot deny the skills of that man. He's got so much skills. He's got so much experience. He's, he doesn't need to prove anything. The stuff that he does, of of course, I, I can't do that sort of shit. Um, yes, there is a sensationalism uh, behind it. Uh, that makes it really watchable. I would much rather to watch Bear Grylls uh, than an adventurer sitting on a bicycle or in the middle of a desert to say, oh, yeah, I'm tired, I'm hungry, you know, um, you know, walk and walk and walk and walk with no story is so boring. If you want to have an, an authentic adventure, fine. I'm 100% there. I'm supporting you. Uh, I'm behind it. Um, but 
that's different to um, a television narrative. It's different to a television program. In a television program, the most important thing is um, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the audience. You have to entertain the audience who are watching it. You are getting their time. So you have to inform them. You have to entertain them. And you have to give something to them to watch. You know, if it's only about you, then good luck to you. Have a great adventure. Um, so where I draw the line is basically I uh, I do a lot of um, – I, I make television um, not all the time put myself in front of a camera. I only put myself in front of a camera in expeditions that is so close to my heart. That's why it takes them such a long time to uh, – get them off the ground normally i mean that my last expedition took me two years to get it off the ground a because i had to do so much research to be able to inform people b i'm wanting to make it as authentic as possible uh, travel as a local dude um you know have those hardship uh those t- sort of things are very important for me three i need to get something behind it to believe in that vision hence it, it was taking that long um, to get it off the ground. It takes uh, so long to make it. Not um, all the commissioners are interested in, you know, making, uh, you know, make television of someone who's um, on the road for four or five months. They want it really snappy, very short. So these are the obstacles I have to face to get my own content, my own television uh, programs off the ground. So hence... Um, you know, that authenticity is very important for me. But the stuff that I make about other people, you know, that entertainment comes first, you know. And obviously, um, if there is a body of information that I can bring to it, of course I will. But, you know, that's just, you know, make it and give it to the client. But this is just my heart is in it. Did that answer your question? Yes, I did. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I could talk about that all day because it's obviously quite close, close to my heart as well. You know that. The, yeah, you're uh, doing it, uh, of course. <laughs> but it's just the line between authenticity and kind of reality and entertainment. Because even authentic stories, we have to tell them in a way that's interesting. Exactly as you say, you know, something that really resonated with me is you can't just watch somebody sit on a bike saying how hard it is for an hour. It, it's it's not nobody's going to watch that. Um, the hard thing, I suppose, in the in the line of work that we um, do is you need jeopardy, but equally you don't always want jeopardy because if you're on expedition, you know you want things to be as safe as possible and as and as peaceful as possible and as enjoyable as possible. But I guess that's um, you know you've clearly made some very clever decisions about where you go, what you do, and how you can guarantee a sense of jeopardy with, well, maybe not in your case guaranteeing you'll come home, but certainly, uh, you know, finding that fine line between safety and risk, which I suppose brings us very neatly onto, uh, you know, traveling 5,000 miles across Africa. Um, yeah, um, this, this was my, perhaps most important expedition that I did in my life. Obviously my, you know, uh, the, the expedition that is very close to my heart. Um, this is the best war- piece of work I've ever produced. Um, really, really proud of it. And when I saw the people's reaction to the, to the television series, I realized, oh, I got this one right. Um, and I'm extremely proud of it. I I spent so much time in it, um, especially you know when you're traveling to war zones. Foreign Office read all the countries that I traveled, apart from Senegal, <laughs> were and Ethiopia. Everything was red, 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 red zones. Uh, none of them advice against all travels, um, and uh, I needed to find a way to do this in an unbroken line, you know, just get through these borders. Uh, the all borders are closed. Um, you know, one day one opens, another day it's shot. Um, incredibly difficult logistics, um, incredibly difficult, um, 
locations to travel to. Uh, you know, one day you have to dodge um, Boko Haram, another day uh, Al Qaeda. You know, war breaks, tribal wars, conflict, all that kind of stuff um, across the Sahelian belt uh, in in Africa. Um, but yeah, uh, apart one of the reason that it took such a long time to put it together was I needed to find a network of individuals that helped me to get through. And part of that for me was to go to Chad, um, which was the the black hole in, in this the whole thing, because no one knows anything about Chad. If you go to Royal Geographical Society, talk to people about Chad, all these well-traveled people, all these gritty adventurers, no one knows anything about Chad. No one knows anything about Niger. No one a little bit know about Mali. But these are the black holes in that information is completely lost. You know, people haven't traveled there much. So, and I was going to places that um, they are completely off the map. They are um, they are sort of uncharted territories. And they've been subject to years of wars. That's why people don't know anything about it because they, these places have been war zones. No one... Um, traveled there over past you know three four decades um so um i managed to uh, get a, a piece of work from oxfam and went there with them um so they could provide sort of a logistics and i did a bit of a recce in chat um found uh, a really good guide uh, who sort of introduced me to other people who could get me through so yeah put the piece of the puzzle together but it was so difficult to put you know connect these countries and find a way to 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 cross from east to to from west to east yeah i was going to say what was the specific objective and where did the idea come from so the the series is called the world's most dangerous borders um when i looked at um the the sahelian belt i realized there are so many untold stories that no one told it Uh, you know mainstream media focuses on war, terrorism, um, uh, you know, uh, drought, uh, mass migration, migration to Europe, all that kind of stuff. And going back to the definition of being an explorer, um, I tell untold stories and provide people with an alternative narrative to what they hear on mainstream media. Exploration in 21st centuries is about story storytelling. Um, it's about documenting and disseminating facts that um, provide people better understanding of the of the world out there. Um, and that was my job. And I um, I heard my sort of calling and said, "Well, these countries are has been they've been completely closed to to outsiders." Um, and this is my job to go and tell the story of these countries and what do they share. These borders, their borders are um, home to military battlegrounds and uh, displaced families. And um, along those borders are incredible tribes, really, really untouched, really. Um, they haven't been filmed. They have These stories haven't been told. Uh, incredible cultures, incredible traditions. Uh, live along those borders. So um, you have the war and jeopardy and all that kind of stuff. You have the terrorism, you have um, migration, and you have this incredible anthropological piece. Uh, how can you bring all of these together and tell those stories? So the, the border um, was the key to bring me there. It was a common thread that connecting all these little narratives together. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it does. I mean, to be honest, it's I, I just would love for you to tell me the story of how you travelled, you know, across that across that um, that line. I, I started pitching the the, the idea to um, sort of broadcasters. Finally, I managed to get uh, funding behind it, and uh, someone was mad enough to, um, you know, go with uh, with with my with my idea, put a team together, um, and started in Senegal. Um, so uh, you know i my there's no there are no foreigners along this um, you you hardly see a foreigner uh, walking around uh, the streets of mali or uh, 
especially now, or uh, Chad or Niger, apart from aid workers, apart from um, the the humanitarian people or um, army army personnel. Um, so effectively, I and and normally they move from trouble to trouble. They they move to conflict to another conflict. They go to somewhere that's solving people's problem. Hugely respectable. I didn't want to move from conflict to conflict. I wanted to go from story to another story. And the best way to tell the story is to make yourself vulnerable. I didn't want to travel with a jeep in air in an air condition, uh, in an air conditioned jeep. Uh, or four by four while people are traveling in animal cart. How can I tell their story? I need to make myself vulnerable. So I traveled as they did, uh, eating the same food from the same bowl as they did, participated in the same rituals in, in the same, um, I slept in the same houses. I uh, got involved in their traditions, sometimes really scary. Um, you know, I got initiated, I got burned, you know, all that kind of stuff that uh, you can you can sort of watch it on. Um, it's out there now. Um, and it was interesting. So that's how I managed to tell those stories, get really close to people. Uh, and having a great guide um, with me, that was the key to opening, unlocking all those stories, you know, he was integral to the success of the expedition. Yeah, I was going to ask this question later, but you know, let's go there now. How how important? I mean, you've said they're very important, but why are guides and fixes so important? And um, what are their responsibilities? Uh, a good guide is your eyes and ears on the ground. Um, they know the local language. They know the lo- local custom. They know how to open doors. For example, I'll give you a very tangible example. Uh, you know, uh, Afar people, in um, they live in Danakil Depression in Ethiopia, the hottest place on earth. They're very hard people. They, they are very difficult people to talk to. They don't, accept, they don't like outsiders. They don't even like Ethiopians. You know, they just like Afar. And that's why their culture has remained really intact. They don't allow foreigners to come to their village. So my guide knew their traditions really well. So when um, we enter of our village, we went to the village elder. The first thing he said, just um, once you shake hand with the guy, um, bring his hand like this close to you and kiss his hand, and then he will kiss your hands back. So that's what what I did. I just brought his hand close to my face, kissed it, and then he grabbed my hand back to his mouth and he gave me a kiss um, in my hands. And that immediately opened the door. And all of a sudden, we were sort of accepted because, you know, the, the, all of a sudden you target them from, you connect them with a cultural level that they don't expect. Uh, and that's, you know, that that's a simple example. And so on, you know, across the, across the, the Sahel, you know, there, was, there were numerous occasions. I mean, apart from translation, apart from knowing the local language, knowing those little customs, they were absolutely incredible. They, they just opened door after door. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How much of it for you is about the human experience versus traveling across a landscape? Human experience for me is 100%. I love incredible places i love climbing i love um uh, you know walking i love um you know physical endurance absolutely 
lovely, but without human story, for me, that makes no sense. I love natural beauty, but for me, it's more important to see the lives of people who call that landscape their home. How do they survive there? How do they adapt to that sort of a landscape? So human connection, telling human story for me is everything. Telling the lives of the um, indigenous people. Of course, you know, they live in harmony with the nature within that environment. So, you know, connecting the two has been always for me the most important thing. And in my sort of this television series, I try to tell the story of, you know, going behind the headline and tell, you know, okay, while the world media focuses on, you know, mass migration or terrorism, what is the root of all of that? And, you know, when you dig really deep, you realize they're all climate related. Um, and that, that is, that, that brings all the story together. So, for example, along the Sahelian belt, you know, when the, you know, the media says, oh, okay, you know, 70 people got drowned in, um, Mediterranean Sea or, um, you know, there has been a mass migration or war broke. What is the reason behind it? The journalists go there, spend three, four days there, um, and report on war and fl- fly back home and tell the story of war. But no one actually tells the story of people and that landscape. And that was my job to tell that story. My, that was my focus. So, and the story was because of the global warming and subsequent desertification, the desert has pushed the communities from the north of the Sahara Desert, north of the Sahel, towards further south. And that put a huge amount of pressure on the people in the south who their resources were already dwindling. And sort of those guys from the north came to their lands with their cattle, with their um, animals, and they're using the same resources as these guys. Um, And obviously that causes conflict. Feeling those conflicts are terrorist groups such as Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, you know, giving, uh, you know, promoting radicalism and um, creating those wars. And that creates um, mass murder and that creates migration and that migration leads to, um, you know, people getting drowned in the Mediterranean Sea and all that kind of stuff. So that's how you connect the dots. And the only way to do this is to spend time to to really embed yourself in the lives of people who call um, the Sahel their home. So that was my job. And how, how long did you spend on that trip? Four months. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you, you do get, you get embedded. Four months plus, um, two years of research plus, um, a month in Chad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, I'm wary of not going too dark with it all, but those issues that you've just been talking about, they're not going to get better before they get worse, are they? No. Um, but if you have information about it, I mean, obviously, this is quite a dark story. But there are lots of positives to it as well, you know. Um, but, you know, as I said, you know, my job is to highlight all negative and positive and, you know, bring those um, stories to life. You know, I let's talk about a positive. You know, I came across an incredible initiative across the Sahelian belt. The, and the eight nations have come together to grow a wall of trees. It's called, they call it Great Green Wall to stop the desertification and bring life back to the Sahel. So they're planting trees like a wall to stop the desert coming forward. Um, absolutely incredible multinational um, effort. And it's fascinating how local communities are invested in it they're all into it big time so super interesting and hopefully you know once that wall is there um the prosperity will go back to to those communities yeah and so again it's heavy but are you hopeful that this will all play out well in this part of the world 
Yeah, 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 definitely. That's the key. That's the key. That's the that's the way forward. Put it this way, um, uh, you know, f- addressing issues from sort of a really um, from the roots. Sorry, I'm sort of deviated to this sort of a dark space from the adventure. Put it this way: this is an adventure podcast, so let's let's go back to adventure. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I really like it. I mean, that's the thing. You know, when I as things have changed over the years adventure is relative right and adventure is subjective and it's not all about suffering on bicycles it's you know i mean um frontline surgeons working in syria are living an adventurous lifestyle um ab- adventure it's interesting you say this is the specifics of what an explorer is because adventure is the same thing you know adventure is all relative but um yeah maybe it's a bit dark for eight o'clock on a you know thursday morning <laughs> um I'm about to make it loads worse though, but no, we'll break the fourth wall, you know? So I'm sat here with my filmmaker hat on thinking, okay, yeah, but there must've been loads of jeopardy on that route as well. Um, obviously we've spoken about finding the jeopardy in, in, in projects, but it didn't always go well, right? No, it went wrong all the time. Uh, you know, so many times. Um, the first wake up call was when, uh, I went to, uh, so my, my route was, um, to, I was following the Niger River, uh, absolutely incredible river, it's so much beauty and culture around it. Um, I was following this nomadic uh, fisherman um, tribes called Bozo. And there, <clears throat> basically, because there's so much insurgency uh, around that area, I chose, I chose waterways to draw less attention to myself. And obviously, there was so much to explore around those waterways. I mean, Niger River has been mobilizing, facilitating mobilization of various um, West African civilizations for centuries. And um, and it was an incredible story to tell. So I followed, uh, and I realized actually bozos are, um, is their migration time. Um, and they go to the headwater, they, they they go further down. They, they travel where the fish are. Um, so I, I followed them uh, downstream towards T- Timbuktu. Um, and my goal was to get to Timbuktu, but um, by the time I got to halfway through Mali, my guide said, I cannot go any further. Um, this is too dangerous. Um, and I said, man, what do you mean too dangerous? And um, he's local. And when he says it's dangerous, you think twice. Um, so I thought, okay, um, let's not go with a, uh, with a boat. Um, I left Bozos and I went uh, and asked a 4x4 four four to try to charter a 4x4 four four to take me to Timbuktu. And not a single person, not even for a large sum of money, was willing to take me to Timbuktu. They said, you are a target. As soon as they see you, they... Um, they're going to kill you. Um, they're going to kidnap you and they're going to kill me. So I like my life. Bugger off. Um, so yeah, no one was willing to take me to Timbuktu and, you know, I wanted to live. Um, so I didn't want to, I decided not to go to Timbuktu. That pushed me um, to, um, I had to change my route and that pushed me to the Dogon country, which is another um area of conflict is this is incredible land that uh occupied by the dogon tribe um have you ever heard of dogon no um it's an ancient tribe one of the most extraordinary tribes in africa that they are animist they believe in the spirit that um animates the the, the universe so it pushed me to their land and uh, now they are in conflict with um so they are Effectively, they don't believe in modern religion, but uh, they they're in conflict with another tribe called Fulanis. Um, so I stepped into this conflict because I had nowhere else, else to go. That was the only way through. So I hired a, a Dogon guide, and he took me to um, to the Dogon country, and I've seen extraordinary. I stepped into the world that I never ever expected. Um, it was like going back. By hundreds of years, um, it was absolutely incredible. They people live in um, in houses um, that you wouldn't even 
dream of. It was so picturesque. It was so beautiful. It was, um, yeah, it was a way of life that has not changed for for millennia. Um, everything was going well. Um, but one day I woke up and uh, I was told um, 20 miles away, 150 uh, members of the Dogon tribe were slaughtered by the Fulanis and the war broke out. Just get yourself out of there. Um, uh, yeah, it's not a place to sort of hang about. All the roads from from and to Dogon countries were closed. Um, so we had to hire a couple of donkeys and um, travel through a really, really dangerous road, um, mountainous road. Um, to get ourselves out of there, one of the donkeys died. Um, you know, fell into the valley um, with uh, with some of our tents and stuff. It was so dangerous, uh, the road. And you know, I'm not an sort of an expert mountaineer, um, but yeah, it was um, it was scary. Finally, uh, we got ourselves out of the conflict zone. But um, yeah, that was a close call. God, <laughs> I didn't know that story. That's mad. I suppose it's, I don't know, what's really interesting for me is that the perception, maybe this is just my perception, my bias, and I need to change that, is that, you know, producing adventure television, a lot of the time, there's a lot of, you know, actually, we're only two miles away from the town, or, you know, it's all for the camera. But the reality is, you know, not always the case, right? Yeah, that's right, especially when you're you know, vulnerable in those uh, sort of locations. And there is, I quite like it, I have to say. There's, <laughs> when, when I come back, uh, you know, when, when you've been exposed to that level of extreme, sometimes normality feels a bit boring, uh, you know, especially now. Um, during that trip, I, I, I basically dodged many difficult situations, but I got caught in one of them. I... Um, was put in prison for four days in Darfur. Um, before I get to the border of Sudan, I had all the permission by the Sudanese government uh, to go and meet these Darfurian tribes um, called Masalit, um, absolutely incredible tribe. And you know, because Darfur has been closed for so many years, there hasn't been any camera there, there hasn't been any journalist uh, go- gone there. And this tribe has remained untouched. Their story has never been told. Um, so, yeah, I was so proud that I'm going to get there. I'm going to be that explorer that's going to tell the stories. And um, because we were in so such remote corner of the world, we didn't know what was going on inside Sudan. The revolution was happening inside Sudan. The, the old dictator got toppled. And we stepped into Sudan, got arrested right at the border, sent them to the military barracks and then handed over to Sudanese intelligence and questions. And yeah, for four days they kept us. And then after four days, they kicked us out of our four. <laughs> and that was quite a dark moment, I have to say. Yeah, how were, how were you treated? Well, what can you do? Just, uh, you know, telling, um, you know, sitting in a little room and uh, count the moments to, um, to get out. Um, did you think it was all going to be okay? No, 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 no. I I knew at you know at the end of the day, um, you know the foreign office will come and get me, but um, I didn't know how long it's going to take. You know, um, I might have been, you know, I might just stay there for for a long time. Um, I didn't know uh, when I'm going to get out. It's a cliche question. But you're a father now, right? How yeah. Do you, how do you justify the risk? Um, I don't know yet to be find out because um, when I did that, my wife was pregnant and I'm sitting in Darfur in a, in a bloody prison cell uh, waiting to be, uh, to be released. Um, yeah, I think my wife is, you know, can tolerate a fair amount of risk. Um, you know, she's quite used to me being away. Now I don't know. I really don't know yet to be yet to be tested. Do you think you'll do you think you'll rein it in, or do you think I I don't know. I, I don't. I, basically, I um th- what I did um this time 
in terms of risk, this was that was my limit. I think I, you know, you know your limit at some point, and um, it was. I definitely hit my limit because you know I I really stretched myself to some really really dangerous situations. Uh, maybe sometimes irresponsible, and, um, but I just. So I was so hungry to tell that stories. Um, I don't think I would be willing to take that those sort of risks anymore. Uh, definitely, we'll take the sort of physical risks, but um, because I'm in control of, you know, if uh, if I'm on top of the rock, you know, I know that I have a harness, you know, I know I have, uh, you know, there's a calculated risk. But going to the R four, um giving myself in hand of um, someone else that, you know, I'm not in control of, you know, I cannot control that risk. So, I will, yes, to answer your question, yes, I will take risks that I'm in control of. How can I, I can control them? It's a very interesting point because I, I completely agree with you. I think the risk in the mountains, the risk in, you know, deserts, etc. When you're totally the master of your own kingdom, you're you're responsible for every move you make, and so you can make a calculated risk for every single step. Um, obviously, sometimes it doesn't go well. We all know that, but I always feel like the human risk, like the third party human risk, is a totally different thing. You just kind of walk up to the border checkpoint and you roll the dice, right? Hundred percent. You know, um, your your destiny, you know, is in the hand of someone else. You know, uh, in uh, in 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 Niger, in Mali, you know, they just uh, it was it was really crazy. I'm just looking back. You know, I I uh, the places that we went. Um, you know, my guide now tells me, um, man, you're crazy. I mean, what why what what was going on in your head that you decided to go to those places? I'm not willing to do that ever again. That was definitely my limit. Did you feel? Did you feel any sense of responsibility around the other people with you? The guilt um, towards the end of the journey, uh, once we were in Somalia, I was climbing this mountain, um, and then that was the last obstacle um, before we get to the end, and the end was the Red Sea. Um, while I was climbing that mountain, I was just looking behind, and I was thinking for the first time in four months, I feel relaxed i feel i can just let go my guards are down and the guilt started to creep in and i realized oh god i you know i had a pregnant wife at home um my cameraman my guide my you know the other part of the crew i done risks so much and fortunately we were all safe um, you know, at the, at that moment of time, I thought, okay, this is calculated, but um, in fact, some of the times wasn't. It was like completely sort of driven by myself because I, I was so hungry to tell that story and I drag people to those places. I mean, you sort of answered this question, but I'm interested. Um, you know, what is it that motivates you now, rather than? like the extrinsic, you know, values? What is it that keeps you wanting to move forward and inspires you? Storytelling. You know, that's um, that's what I'm hungry for. And that's what I absolutely love. You know, you, you have an idea, um, you know, you scribble it on a piece of paper, and then that turns to a book, that turns to a television series. You know, you put it together. You know, you know, job of explorers are um, are entrepreneurs. Effectively, you know, look to get an expedition off the ground. You need to have money. You need to have. Uh, you need to have a team put it together. You have. To, you need to have an. You have to create audience. Um, you have to. Uh, you know, find a platform to tell that story. So all these elements, if you put them together, you can really. Um, see the parallel in the life of an entrepreneur you know what do they do they they create a product they put a team together they bring ideas together people with different expertise and bring that idea to life 
that's what we do. You know, we, um, you know, I, I need to find the right cameraman. I need to find the right sound man. I need to find uh, the right guide, logistics. Um, I need to learn the particular skills that I don't know if I'm going canoeing. You know, I need to throw myself into that and master canoeing or climbing or whatever I have to do or whatever the expedition uh, requires me to do. Uh, then you got to find a platform, which is like a television or book or, you know, it's, and get some money behind it, you know, find uh, brands, find, um, you know, broadcaster who really believe in your vision, go through all those sort of a risk assessment, all that kind of stuff. So it's just, you know, bringing the whole thing together, get the expedition off the ground, go and do it, come back and create that story and share it with the outside world. And, what you, I mean, perhaps going back to your question, what makes you sort of motivated to do sort of more is that added value to people's life is when, you know, I, you know, someone emails me and say, man, I learned a lot from this expedition. It wasn't just a television series. It was something that, you know, you opened my eyes into a, the world that I was, I didn't know anything about it. And that for me, it's so heartwarming. It's so important, um, you know, that difference that I can make in, in people's life and, you know, uh, inform people. And obviously there is definitely a personal gain into this, you know, you know, when I go and see these incredible people, when I go and, you know, live their lives and, you know, it's such a privilege to be able to travel like this. You know, imagine if you travel, just go and see you know, it doesn't, you know, the camera enabled me um, having being in front of a camera or having, you know, going to places with a camera um, enabled me to get a win, the snapshot of someone's life, a, a, a tribe or an indigenous community that um, it just gives a different angle to how to enter people's life. And you speak really passionately about it, obviously, but you started out on this journey as in this career uh, loving adventure and adventure was something that you were um transfixed by has making it your career in your profession taken away from your own adventure and your own experience i was doing adventure for the sake of adventure and i called myself an adventurer so I was cycling fast, I was climbing, I was, uh, you know, doing all sorts of physical endurance, um, mega journeys and all that kind of stuff. And I was an adventurer. Uh, I was an adventurer and I wasn't bringing anything back. Um, I was chasing personal goals. Um, but now I'm an explorer. Um, that There is a distinct definition here. Is my job to bring things back rather than actually pursuing? I mean, my my personal goals now taking the back seat. The informing people, uh, bringing information, and sharing with outside world. That is my job. Whether that's an article, whether that's in uh, 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 a moving picture format, that is my job. That's what I get paid to do. So I look at it as a job. And yet in that sort of a pure form of, you know, me and versus element, uh, yeah, it's it has changed, you know. Um, not sure um, how to refer to that sort of a purity. But yeah, perhaps, you know, I think I know your question, you know, if you if you go to a, if you experience a hardship or if you're in somewhere um, remote um, and if you have a camera there or if you don't have a camera there, how would you, uh, how would you describe it? What's, it? what's the difference? Is that, is that your question, isn't it? It was about to be my next question, so <laughs> feel free. Definitely it, it makes a difference because I need to think about um, how to put the story together and whether that story makes sense uh, or not. Um, a lot of time happens that you naturally uh, fall into that 
Um, I mean, for example, give you an example in in sort of a da- I was in Danakil depression, um, and it happened that you know we ran out of water in the hottest place in the world. I lost my guide, um, and I told him like I want to take some drone shots, go to the car, um, and I know where I came from. I can find myself, uh, find my way. Uh, flew the drone with my cameraman and. Um, was ready to go back to the car I, I i sort of followed the direction and i had a camera with me just realized fuck everywhere look exactly the same there's no way i can find my direction i could not i mean and it was 11 it was 12 o'clock so the sun was right above us <laughs> i mean 50 degrees centigrade um you have this much water left um, just less than a liter um, and that went really quickly so I ran out of water obviously um, if I didn't have a camera all I was thinking was like go 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 and and, and find uh, the way to, to survive to f- find, a, find a car but obviously having a camera on board I really took advantage of the situation not only I was searching for the car also I, I, I was describing the situation to the camera and made a survival situation, but that was a genuine survival situation. Until they managed to, they, they went to the nearest village. They got I don't know, fifty afar people um, to came and uh, find us in the middle of a desert, completely lost in the last drop of water. Um, so that was the closest example that I can sort of tell you, but. You know that made a really good story. It was um, formed, a, you know, part of our story, um, and it was a genuine situation. I think you know, for me, it just comes down to it's so easy to get bogged down in the nuance of is this adventure, is this exploration, is it authentic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But right at the core of it, I think, like listening to you speak about it, right at the core of it, if you're enjoying it and it feels adventurous. And it's raising the heart rate. Then, what's the problem? I can't see any problem with that. No. Do you uh, do you still enjoy adventure for the sake of adventure? I do. Uh, when I went on my own or oh, with my mate, going climb the mountain, or um, you know, that's that's the adventure. Is my hobby is. It's my, um, you know, it's something I really enjoy doing, you know. Um, I, you know, wander off to the Alps and climb the mountain. That's my holiday. That's that's something I really enjoy. Um, it's not something, you know, earning me any money. That's not the profession. But, you know, definitely exploration is my profession. Ace, okay. I have two last questions for you. Go on, Dad. <laughs> Um, what worries you? What worries me? Um, in in life or uh, while I'm out there? Whatever you want. Um, interesting. Uh, many things. <laughs> um, to be honest, sometimes finances. Um, because I'm a I'm a dad now, so I'll have to, you know provide for my family for my kid um uh i'm always worried uh about my career because i don't want to get complacent you know although you know now my sometimes is sort of a masochism because you know my, my series is done done so well now but i'm worried because you know what's next what's next is always worries me keeps me awake at night you know, yeah, same as you. Um, I'm pretty sure you're you're sort of experiencing it. Um, you know, okay, this television series is done. What's next? You know, hi, tell another story. And it's not really easy to just find an untold story to tell. You know, it's very difficult. Uh, yeah, these are the things that I constantly, and and you know, perhaps my insecurity. Um makes me try harder 
Um, and I kind of kind of like it. I come to terms with it. I'm really insecure about my career. Um, and um, and I think that allows me to try, you know, harder. I, I you know, I, um, um, I, I enjoy working really hard. And, um, but yeah, there's always something in the back of my mind to do more, to, to make something better. I think that's very human. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, yeah, well, I can relate. I'm sure lots of people can relate. What brings you hope? Seeing people that go out of their way to help others. That definitely um, restore my faith in humanity. And when I see people in sort of a really selfless people out there in some of the most remote corners of the world, and they're just out there to to help others, to help people that they really need help, um, to give voice to people that the, otherwise their voice won't be heard. That really warms my heart and makes me think, yeah, there are really lovely people out there. Nice. If people do want to watch the watch the series and read the books, where do they go? Oh, sure. Um, so my le- um, I have two television series now on Amazon Prime. Um, so one is called uh, The World's Most Dangerous Borders, uh, which is the latest one that we spend most of the time discussing it right now um and yeah that's on amazon prime and they have i have another uh series which is uh, about me cycling the length of the planet um it's called cap to cape k-a-w-p to cape um yeah that's a four-part series of me cycling the um the planet getting malaria and uh, <laughs> it's um it's also a very personal journey so maybe if someone really want to get their career off the ground and um perhaps thinking of um you know taking an adventure as a as a career there's something to watch um and that uh, has a um has a book to come with it it's called cap to cape again that's also you can buy it off amazon or uh, Stanford, maybe that's a better place to buy the book. <laughs> cool. Okay. I guess we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for sitting down with me. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and produced and distributed by Pip Saunders and Alex Hall and edited by Kate Bullivant. You can keep in touch at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk and stay up to date on Instagram at theadventurepodcast.co.uk.